Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And we are thrilled to once again be joined by our good friend, the amazing, so talented, Bridget Todd. Oh, I'm so happy to so be happy. here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I told you earlier I was drinking a little sparkling wine to celebrate the holiday season and getting to hang out with you all. I'm so excited. Yes, yes. We're so excited too. And this one is actually um, pretty... I'm excited to talk about it. Some rare good news, I feel. <laughs> but yes, um, Bridget, uh, we're, we're coming toward the end of the year and this is... We're kind of... Finishing up recordings for 2021, mm-hmm. which is weird. Very, very strange. Do you have anything? I know last time we talked about weird Christmas. Is there anything else like on the horizon you're excited about? Later today, we're leaving for our weirdo Christmas, which yes. is, I'm, I'm so ecstatic about, so happy. Yeah, I'm also spending the holidays with my brand new, fresh out the oven niece, little baby Judy, Aww. who is three <laughs> months old and the cutest kid in the world. Aww. I am obsessed with her. She doesn't know that I'm a person, but we'll get there. (laughs) Baby steps, as they say. Right. I don't think they recognize you as a person until they're literally in their adolescence, because until then you're their servants to give them what they want. (laughs) Essentially is what I've discovered with all the youngins. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Adolescence. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, probably I'm going to say seven. (laughs) Oh, okay. I think you and I have different ideas of adolescence, but okay. Am I saying that wrong? I I don't, I just always thought that was like 12, 13. That's Um, teenager years. Well, this is, we're going to get hung up in in vernacular (laughs) that we don't need to get into right now. But now I'm clear on what you mean. Okay, I got you. (laughs) Now I'm having to question it. Anyway, yes, move on. I'm excited. (laughs) Judy, is that her name? Judy. That's such Judy. a great name. We're throwing it back a little bit. Oh. Yes. It's it's it can be turned into all kinds of cute nicknames. I call her Judy Cutie. Oh. Uh, again, she doesn't understand that I'm speaking to her. She only now just realized that she has uh, like hands and a right. tongue. So we're 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 you know, baby steps. Yeah. Get there. Yeah. Get there. <laughs> Do you all have fun holiday plans? Mm. Uh, well, we told you about our kind of weirdo New Year's, which is essentially staying in and wearing onesies and <laughs> watching movies. I do make like the traditional soup, you know, with the, the collard greens, collard black-eyed greens, peas, and sausage. Black-eyed peas. Oh, for good luck. Yes, exactly, exactly. I can't. I mean, clearly it's been going so well for me so far. <laughs> Maybe I didn't get the right type of collard greens. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, Bridget, but right before the pandemic like really set in in 2020, my New Year's resolution was to stay in more. Oh. And that's the thing that I, I feel like I ruined everything. Oh. <laughs> She's pretty sure she placed the curse. I so think you're so. to blame. I'm I, pretty sure. I, I bought my first ever planner for 2020. <laughs> I, I usually never buy planners. I bought my first ever in life planner. And I wrote, I wrote all kinds of goals for 2020 and dreams. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. We had a whole episode about predicting what would happen, and we were oh. real wrong, like the wrongest that we could be. I think we hit those essentially. <laughs> It's one for the books, that episode. Yeah, like, we kind oof. of... It almost had to be an apology. We're like, sorry. <laughs> we have to retract some things. <laughs> Essentially. No. Can we just go ahead and just delete I that from everybody's mind? I think we were right mind? about the 5G thing. <laughs> we were. 
the conspiracy <laughs> theories about 5G, we were right about that. There we go. Uh, we didn't know how far it would go. No. Uh, we just did not have the imaginations to match the reality. Uh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For myself, it is going to be a very low-key, low-key, I say, because we are going to partners uh, Christmas. This is our first big deal mm. Christmas, I guess. Ooh, yeah. And I say low-key because I am anxious-ridden about it, and so I'm pretending like it's not happening. So I'm sure the day we drive there is when I'm going to have a panic attack, which is silly because they're great people. But in my head, this That's is a, a new lot. situation. So I'm like, ah! ah! So we'll see what happens. You should watch oh. a lot of holiday movies like um, The Family Stone, like, like you know, <laughs> holiday movies where it's like, oh, they're like new partner visiting for the holidays to sort of get get your mind right. Wait, yes. have you seen Holiday Stone? Because it does not end well. Oh, <laughs> uh, what happened? Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch that one. It's going to go much better than that. I forgot about that. You're, you're totally right. Like, Don't watch that one. Like, that will not, that is so not a realistic representation. Yeah, it was, was so dramatic so and over the top that I was like, oh my God, this is so depressing. Why am I watching this? Every wrong thing has happened. And now Bridget's like, I hope that upon you. <laughs> no, 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 I thought no, no, we were no, no, friends. No. <laughs> that won't happen. That'll be that'll be a, a representation of what will what will not happen. The opposite. Right. Uh, there we go. I, okay. Okay. I'm gonna. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> that was very yeah, very funny. And also, I just want to say, Bridget, thank you for complimenting my very darky Star Wars Boba Fett sweater. She's so excited. It's actually, a big deal because it's a gift from my older brother. And he's like never given me a gift in my entire life. So, oh, yeah, I know. I'm like, all right. And it definitely he, hit the mark. Uh, oh, he was like, I world. knew this, this was for you. <laughs> There's no way I couldn't get this. You are correct. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, th- it's a very Annie gift. Yes. So kudos to the brother. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. And Annie has, is it now six, five, six different Star Wars Christmas sweaters? None of which I purchased. Um, no. So people do know me very well. <laughs> um, yes, so I'm I'm trying to get through the catalog while I can, while it's acceptable, even though it's mostly just me in my apartment. So I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> I could wear them whenever. All right. So we are also excited to discuss the topic you bought today, Bridget. Um, so what are we going to be discussing? Oh, it feels like well, a Christmas ha- gift. Go, let's go. I know. It's like, it's like it feels like a little bit of a gift. For once, I am excited to share. We have a little <laughs> bit of positive news for people who have uteruses. Yes. Like, can you imagine? That feels like all we ever get is like, oh, more bad news, more bad news. Mm-hmm. But actually, just yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, announced a permanent repeal of the in-person dispensing requirement for, I actually have the pronunciation spelled out. So if I, if I butchered this pronunciation, please don't come after me. <laughs> Mifepristone. Uh, one of the two medications used in medication abortion, aka the abortion pill. So, uh, pretty exciting. It's a, it's a. Ca- I'm cautiously optimistic and pretty comfortable saying like it's a good thing. We'll discuss like why it's sort of like not the best thing, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. And so I'm comfortable like these days. You got to take a W, however you can get it. So I'm comfortable saying this is a a, a small win for abortion rights. Which is such a, yeah, a sentence my brain did not know how to process. When I was, right. like, looking over your outline, I was like, what? <laughs> right. I feel the same way. I really feel uh, maybe we've just so traumatized uh, previously and we're all on edge that I'm like, yeah, but, 
but what? <laughs> like just waiting, but instead of celebrating, hey, this is good news because it is a step forward, but like, it's still <laughs> totally. in the back of my head. Yes. Totally. As someone who is pretty involved in the fight for abortion rights and access and reproductive justice, I know exactly that that weird feeling you're describing. Wins, but qualified wins, and sort of like, well. And then ultimately, I guess I feel that we shouldn't have to be fighting for this stuff in general. Like, we should, everybody deserves to have autonomy over their own body, access to health care, access to abortion care if they need it. Even the conversation, I feel, is we shouldn't even have to be fighting for stuff like this. But, you know, in the fight for abortion rights, it can be very negative, very taking many, many, many steps back. And so I do think it's important to, you know, highlight when we have something that is not awful Mm -hmm. (laughs) happening. And this is actually something, I think I'd seen it in the headlines, and I know you and I talked about it, Bridget, a while back, several years ago, and I not I didn't really know much about the abortion pill. So can you can you tell us what it is and how it works? Absolutely. So according to Planned Parenthood, the so-called abortion pill is a popular name for two different medicines used to end a pregnancy: mifepristone and another one, uh, misoprostol. So pregnancy needs the hormone called proestrogen to grow normally. And mifepristone blocks your body's own proestrogen. And so basically, it's just a, a combination of pills that you take to induce an abortion. Yes. And I know, like, you know, the, this conversation isn't only limited to the U.S. Was it Ireland had it? Somewhere had a similar mm-hmm. kind of conversation. It was Scotland. And Annie, you and I, we did that whole episode about um, the changing rules in the U.K. versus the United States. And so this is definitely a global issue, an issue where, like, other countries and other regions have have different standards of of the legality of how pregnant people can access this kind of medication to get the abortion care they need. Yeah, and one of the things that we talked about in that episode was also telemedicine um, and being able to get it and like from the comfort of your own home and how important that was for a lot of people for this. Um, so, can you share the history of this kind of a abortion care? via telemedicine in the U.S. Totally. So telemedicine, if you don't know what that is, it's basically when you access your doctor through the internet, through your phone, through video conferencing. That's kind of like the thing for me that makes this kind of a tech story is that people have been relying on that kind of technology-enabled healthcare for a really long time. So abortion via telemedicine has been available in the U.S. since around 2008, when the first formal program began in Iowa a patient in one clinic can confer via video conference with a doctor in another clinic, and then they would get their pills to induce an abortion. And that video conferencing element, that satisfied a federal requirement that a doctor had to dispense the medication to induce an abortion in a clinic, office, or hospital. And so that was a real instance where technology bridged that gap that satisfied this federal requirement that a doctor dispense, I'm I'm using quotes around that, this medication. And so There are so many reasons why that would be a huge deal for people who are pregnant or really anybody looking for any kind of healthcare. Because if you're someone who lives in a rural community or a remote community, you can't always get to a a clinic. Maybe there's not one close. Let's say you don't have a car. Let's say you're just a busy person with a lot on your plate and you can't physically go see a doctor. 
telemedicine really is this thing that can really bridge that gap and bring the, the healthcare that folks need right into their homes. And so huge, huge deal. Unfortunately, opponents responded pretty quickly, prohibiting abortion via telemedicine in 20 states since 2011. In the U.S., the FDA regulates medication abortion under a set of rules called the Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy, or REMS, which determines how and which doctors can provide abortion pills to patients. There was this really interesting paper called 16 Years of Overregulation, Time to Unburden Mifeprex, published in 2017 in the New England Journal of Medicine, um, where leading clinicians and public health experts argued that the FDA restrictions were medically unnecessary. And ACLU attorneys noted that the leading medical groups, including the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, support making abortion pills available by prescription at pharmacies. Um, and here's a really good quote from one of the doctors. He says, Overwhelming medical evidence and decades of clinical experience show medication abortion to be a safe and effective method to end pregnancy. There is simply no medical justification for these restrictions, and they create a needless and harmful burden for women seeking this care. And I think that really sums up, I feel, what this conversation is about. It's about what happens when there are needless and undue burdens that separate people from the medical care, and including abortion care, that they need. Right. And, and one of the things that happens is that people who, who need an abortion, who want an abortion, resort to if they have these undue burdens or these obstacles to less than reliable, perhaps less than safe, like online places where they can get these medications, right? Yeah. So this actually really makes me sad. It's one of those things where I, where I feel, again, these burdens make people resort to things that are not always safe. In a study called Exploring the Feasibility of Obtaining Mifepristone and a <laughs> misoprotozole from the internet, Elizabeth Raymond, a senior medical associate at the research organization Genuity, googled phrases like buy abortion pills online, and the researchers ended up ordering 18 of the pill combinations from 16 different websites, none of which required a prescription. The pills usually came from India, which there is a large generic drug industry there, and the shipments usually cost around like $110 to $360, and they took about three days to three weeks to arrive. And so basically, they found that these products they were getting when they would, they would Google things like abortion pills online were just kind of sketchy. They would have typos. There'd be language mistranslations in the, in the packages. Um, in one instance, the pills arrived where the blister packs had been broken. And the researchers think that was done intentionally because they didn't want someone to be like, oh, I think there's abortion pills in this package. So they would break the blister packs, those things that keep pills from cracking, um, before sending them. And even more worryingly, none of these pills came with instructions for use. And so just like very sketchy, but you can see the kinds of things that people resort to when these burdens are put in place to keep them from the abortion care that they need. Right. I feel like this is just talking in a different way of what was happening in the early pre-Roe versus Wade in trying to find solutions the best they can, especially for those who can't afford uh, access in any way at all. Just not being able to pay $100, I'm assuming in a lot of things, when you start realizing that price is too good to be true, it probably is. And when we talk about, especially for healthcare and reproductive care, we already know, yeah, because people want this to fail, people are not going to look and try to stop these uh, these really sketchy situations, which 
is infuriating because that has put so many people with uterus in danger and so many people who are in a place that they cannot go to doctors. They cannot even afford telemedicine, even though that's a better access. Thank goodness it's a step up. But we have things like Hyde Amendment that prevents even trying to access it for those who can't afford these types of solutions that should already have been existing, as you had said earlier. Oh, absolutely. You reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from one of my idols, Shirley Chisholm. She says, no matter what men think, abortion is a fact of life. Women have always had them. They always have and they always will. Are they going to have good ones or bad ones? Will the good ones be reserved for the rich while the poor women go to quacks? And I feel like that really sums it up, you know, Mm -hmm. this idea that when, you know, Shirley Chisholm was talking about this in the 70s. And here we are in 2021 still having this conversation about whether or not people who don't have access or influence or financial means, are we going to say that it's okay for them to have to access abortion care through sketchy means, via quacks, via like pills that maybe aren't super, you know, on the level. And I think the answer should be no. Everybody deserves medical care. Everybody deserves abortion care if that's what they need. And it makes me so sad that, just like you said, this it's kind of an, an updated version of the same conversation we've been having since the 60s and 70s. And it's so depressing in that regards. I'm always right. here to put a dark cloud over things. <laughs> we can always count on you. I feel like we need a sound effect, like, the more you know, but it's like Samantha's yeah. dark cloud. No, I think it should be like, ding. Um, <laughs> we'll work on that later. It, this also reminds me of, because a lot of what you talk about, Bridget has to do with, yes, the internet and misinformation and disinformation. And I know we've had conversations around CPCs or crisis pregnancy centers and how when you'll type, you know, where do I get an abortion? A lot of times the results will be, like the first results will be um, these CPCs. And I can just imagine for people trying to get access to, to this medication, the same kind of issue there. And then on top of that, people have been arrested, correct? Oh, absolutely. So the SIA legal team, a group of lawyers who specialize in people who have induced their own abortions, knows of 21 people who have been arrested or prosecuted for ending their pregnancies outside of this medical setting that was required, you know, in terms of uh, medication abortion or helping someone else do it. Um, This actually might even be undercounted since they rely on news reports to track these cases. The charges brought against people who self-abort can range from child abuse, the abuse of a corpse, or failure to report death. Now, to be clear, none of the women were prosecuted for buying abortion pills specifically, but they note that buying pills online or even Googling phrases like buy abortion pills online can leave a paper trail that can be used as evidence against them in a trial. And so this is not something that is abstract. Like we, in this country, people have been prosecuted for trying to induce abortions on their own via pills they get online. Um, A famous case in 2015 an Indiana woman named Pervy Patel was sentenced to 20 years in prison for feticide after she allegedly used abortion pills that she ordered online. Uh, prosecutors claimed that her fetus had been, quote, born alive and that she allowed it to die. But later, her conviction was overturned on appeal. So again, we are talking about very real circumstances where this, this right to access abortion care via pills, via telemedicine online has been really a fraught thing that people have been prosecuted for trying to do. And, you know, we have all of these instances where people have subjected themselves to unsafe, sketchy abortion pills because of the undue burdens that have been put in place to prevent them from getting access to the care they need. The case for the woman in Indiana, even though it's not 
related kind of brings back the memories of what just happened in Alabama recently with a woman who lost the fetus wanting to have this baby, not trying to have an abortion, but got prosecuted with those same types of charges for neglect of a fetus. And I'm, I'm like, we all were horrified. And had it not been publicized, she probably would still have remained in jail or prison. And it also takes me to what's happening in Texas as the Supreme Court is now allowing the bounty law, that's what I'm calling it, I know that's not what it's actually called, for it to go. And I'm wondering how this is going to affect uh, if people are trying to access abortion pills. And we are, you already said, I believe that 20 states are not allowing for this type of access in any way. So I'm guessing Texas is one of those. I'm honestly guessing Georgia is too. <laughs> that how this is going to affect even more so in trying to prosecute uh, those with uteruses or those who are helping trying to get access at all. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it really underscores just what scary, dire times we are in. You know, I remember talking to my mom about, you know, when she was coming of age, protesting for, you know, abortion on her campus, trying to get access to birth control pills. And she once told me, she was like, oh, when I was doing all of that back then, I knew at least when I had a daughter, she wouldn't have to sort of fight these same fights, that these fights would be over and done with at the time my daughter was here. Well, talk about, you know, predictions that didn't come true. <laughs> she was wrong. Here I am, her adult daughter, still having to deal with this kind of stuff. And so we are in a really scary time for abortion access, for anybody who cares about abortion access. And that should really be everybody. Everybody, regardless of gender, should care about this. And so I, I agree with you. I, I think that sometimes I'll see, like, I think it was Chris Hayes who tweeted something. And, and I like Chris Hayes. I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, get down on him. But he tweeted about, I think, the Texas abortion bill. Like, oh, I think that we're going to see miscarriages being criminalized next. And it's like, I hate to break it to you, Chris Hayes, but <laughs> we're there. That's happening, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, this is exactly that same level of like, oh my God, we're still fighting for access. We're still trying to have this conversation about bodily autonomy for those with uteruses, those who are non-binary, like trying to figure out how to even have rights at all. Like, Honestly, seeing the news, as I talked about earlier, I was like, but, but, waiting for, you know, the hat to drop, waiting for, oh no, it's going to go fall apart. I'm trying to figure out how even, how the FDA even came to this point. How did we get here? Which is amazing, but how? Well, I actually have an answer for you, which is like, as much as I hated COVID, it, <laughs> we kind of have COVID to thank for this important change. And so this new change, to be clear, um, it's not going to impact everyone in every state, like you said. But the reason why we have it is because of COVID restrictions. And so in 2020, during the pandemic, medical groups filed a lawsuit asking that the in-person dispensing requirement be lifted because the pandemic meant that patients were faced with a greater risk of being infected um, with coronavirus if they were visiting uh, clinics in person to get pills. And so a judge granted that request this that summer. But after a challenge by the Trump administration, of course, the Supreme Court reinstated the restriction. In March, medical organizations tried again, writing to President Biden and Vice President Harris. In April, the FDA decided not to enforce the in-person requirement for the duration of the pandemic and allowed uh, these pills to be mailed to folks. And again, yesterday, the big decision is that that change, which at that point was temporary, is going to be made permanent. And so, you know, the pandemic, I hate it, I hate it, obviously, <laughs> but this is one of those things where I think that the people who were fighting for these regu this, this regulation change really saw a way to be like, you know, 
it doesn't make sense to ask people to go in person to get the abortion care they need, particularly during a pandemic, and then being like, and also shouldn't we just end it altogether? You know, I really (laughs) appreciate them kind of like the strategy of this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, you got to find your, like you said, your wins and your chances where you can. And if it's a pandemic, well... (laughs) (laughs) So... Could you go into just a bit more like what exactly this this ruling is means in terms of like yeah the the states and I, how how it's like specifically impacting different states and um, just what does it all mean, Bridget? Totally. <laughs> so I want to make clear that like it is important to note that this will not impact everyone in every state, as you said. In 19 states, mostly in the South and the Midwest, telemedicine visits for abortion are banned, and so that really you know. There's really no change in those states. And and then, you know, because everything is awful and that because, you know, the powers that be are constantly chipping away at our rights and our our access to abortion care, um, we do believe that conservative states are expected to pass other laws to further curtail the access to abortion pills. And so even though, again, I feel like this is a win I want to be clear that it is not a win that impacts everybody. And so this means that people who live in states that do not allow telemedicine for abortion must travel to a state that does. Although, and this is kind of a weird point, they do not have to visit a clinic. They may be in any location within that state for their telehealth visit, even inside of a car. They may receive pills at any address in that state. Uh, So again, it it just seems like such a weird, obviously bullshit burden to be like, well, if you're in this state that does not allow for telemedicine appointments for abortion pills, you can't get them. But if you drive to a state that does allow them, you can just sit in the Wendy's parking lot and have a telemedicine and visit over your phone in your car, and then that's all good. That, again, it just seems like it really reveals that this is about putting ridiculous burdens and barriers to prevent people from getting the abortion care they need. Like, what if you don't have a car? What if you don't have the financial means to drive to another state? What if you have to work or already have kids and don't really have the ability to just like take a trip like this? It seems like such an obvious way to just prevent people from getting the care they need. And like, to me, it just like, my bullshit alarm goes off. Like, this is clearly just like, let's just make it hard for people to get the care they need. Yeah, I mean, this is such a like, a much more superficial problem, but it reminds me of when I was a kid, um, we would drive to the border of Alabama and where I'm located in Georgia and we'd right on the border, there'd be all these fireworks. Right? <laughs> I knew and you were going to say that. <laughs> we would get all these fireworks and I'd be like, but if they're illegal in Georgia, my parents would be like, you can't sell them, but we could shoot them off. I'm like, that right. makes no <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. I was thinking the same thing with like alcohol sales, you know, within the southern states. Like they were very restrictive up until a certain point. So people would cross borders to go get alcohol. So uh, for the long yeah. time, Georgia couldn't sell it on Sundays. So people would go to Alabama. Like that would have access to it. Again, this is very like less harmful <laughs> than any other, other stuff. But it is also very reminiscent of the fact that they are shutting down clinics in certain states. And so therefore we have to access 
access clinics maybe two or three states away in general. And honestly, we've been watching what's happening with Poland as well as they have had one of the harshest restrictions and bans um, in the world as well. And it's fairly new. And them talking about the fact that they're having to do essentially underground networks to get access to pills and to uh, any type of reproductive health access by traveling across country border lines in order to get access. And yeah, that's exactly what's happening uh, in that level uh, statewide for us that, yes, for some of these, they're going to make it so difficult that you you will have to plan as if like, you have to be away for a week to get a pill um, in order to get any kind of access. And if you can't afford it, sorry, then you're not allowed it. Yeah, and so just like what's happening in Poland, we're seeing some a bit of that here in the United States. So states like California and New York, states where you can access abortion pills via telemedicine, they've taken steps in recent years to further solidify access to abortion, and they're expected to increase the availability of telemedicine for abortion pills, specifically to provide opportunities for folks in other states with these kinds of restrictions to obtain abortion pills by traveling to their state to get them. And so we are seeing this thing where other states that that allow this are probably going to be stepping up so that people, specifically so that people who live in states that, you know, they can't access this can get them. And so it is it is a little bit like that. And, you know, even though this is a win, we shouldn't have to be doing any of this just to get abortion care. Like nobody should have to jump through ridiculous hoops to get medical care that they need. And so this is no different. And so I think of this as a win, but I just, I have to keep like harping on that, that we shouldn't have to be fighting this way and, like, celebrating these sort of, like, incremental tooth-and-nail wins for something that, like, should just be a right that everybody should have. Yeah, and these pill-based abortions are actually pretty common, right? That's right. And so especially in the pandemic, the Tele-Abortion Project, which is a research program authorized by the FDA to conduct telemedicine appointments and mail pills, has heard from many people, and they're saying that they have really seen from folks using their services that people are really stepping up the amount that they are seeking these kinds of services since the pandemic. Elizabeth Raymond, uh, she said that of the 2,083 abortions provided under the program between July 2016 and October 2021, more than a third, 715, occurred during the pandemic. And that really mirrors what the CDC has found. The CDC found in 2020 in some states, including Indiana, Kansas, and Minnesota, The method of uh, pill-based abortions accounted for the majority of abortions, according to state health department records. And the CDC also found that 79% of abortions occurred before the 10 weeks gestation period, suggesting that there are many, many, many more people who would probably choose abortion pills over an in-clinic procedure if they could. Um, Another great resource, Abortion on Demand, which is an online platform that provides physician-supported medication abortion care online, said that they have seen a lot of growing interest uh, in pill-based abortion since the pandemic as well. And so it makes complete sense that at a time when it's like not safe to leave your house, that people would be turning to the internet to get the kind of care that they need. And even beyond abortion, you know, I, when the pandemic started, actually very early into the pandemic, this is like a little bit embarrassing, I had a, um, a cyst on my butt cheek and my doctor had switched to telemedicine only and I remember thinking, like, well, certainly she's not going to want to, like, have me take down my pants and show her my butt cheek over, you know, FaceTime. And that's exactly what I did. And I was <laughs> able to get the care that I needed. And so, obviously, we should not be putting unfair barriers in place when I think that p- the pandemic really showed how important it is 
to use the technology that we have to access healthcare. Right. And I know there are stories you can find out there of people who said like why it was so important to them and why they wanted to be in like their kind of, you know, home or where they felt comfortable when they did this. Um, But also, unfortunately, a lot of times going to an abortion clinic can also not feel safe because there can be people protesting outside and that makes it a much more stressful experience. And and speaking of, I'm sure um, not everyone was happy about about this news. Oh, of course not. So uh, anti-choice groups were not happy about this announcement. The Susan B. Anthony Foundation said, the Biden administration today moved to weaken the longstanding federal safety regulations against mail-order abortion drugs designed to protect women from serious health risks and potential abuse. So here's my question about this. First of all, how and why would someone be abusing these abortion pills? It's not like they, like, take it from me, they do not get you high. The (laughs) side effects that you might have are like mild nausea. I don't really think that people are like, ooh, I can't wait to to get these drugs (laughs) to induce mild nausea. It's going to be a wild time. Can't wait to abuse them. So already have some questions there. And then doctors make it clear that pill-based abortions are safe. A research program by the FDA found that 95% of the 1,157 abortions that occurred through the program between May 2016 and September 2020 were completed without requiring any follow-up procedure. Patients made 70 visits to emergency rooms or urgent care centers with 10 instances of serious complications, the study reported. And so that's really, like, pretty good in terms of, you know, the safety of this. Like, doctors have made it very clear that pill-based abortions are not unsafe, and telemedicine abortions are safe. For all the reasons that you just said, Annie, they can be more convenient. Maybe you don't want to go to an abortion clinic where there's going to be people shouting at you when you're already stressed. Uh, Maybe you have to work or maybe you can't afford to get to a clinic. Or like, There are so many reasons why someone would choose to, you know, access the care they need through telemedicine. And there's not really a lot of reasons why we are regulating it in this way. And one thing I also want to point out is that This change is obviously, like, very long overdue, especially when you consider that out of the 20,000 different prescription medications currently regulated by the FDA, these abortion pills are the only one, the only one the FDA previously required to be dispensed in person, but permitted patients to self-administer. And so that really, I mean, like, of all of these medications, this can't, like, why is this the only one that had this unfair burden to access? This is one of the only medications that are given to people with uteruses and those who need reproductive (laughs) health. Like, essentially, this is why. And we know these answers. And I find that fascinating um, because as we're looking for the future, and of course, I think part of the reason, like, and Annie and I are both, like, hesitant in celebrating is because we are in Georgia, run by current Governor Brian Kemp, who has absolutely put into place every restriction that you can think of when it comes to accessing any kind of healthcare <laughs> in general. And I say that very loudly as he is threatening to shut down any connections with federal assistance when it comes to uh, coverage in the state at this point in time. And I think one of the things that we are talking about and trying to be very loud about is that these groups are not focusing on the women. Obviously, it is a literal fight about what is moral in their eyes. And for a Bible Belt area of such as Georgia, it is a constant battle trying to see how to combat uh, these really generalized slash false narratives of harming women as if they're truly trying to save women when it's actually they're trying to prevent women to get good access 
and uh, good health care at all. So it's kind of one of those moments of like how, and I guess, honestly, the pandemic has shown a lot of light about the fact that when it comes to morality and <laughs> conspiracies, they don't care if it's from science. They don't care. That's true. <laughs> about the truth, as we have learned. Um, and I find it interesting that as we are trying to focus on this, what what are some ways that we can maybe uh, advocate for ourselves, for people like Annie and I who are stuck in Georgia right now, for more access to these things? Oh, what a good question. I mean, first of all, I just have to honor what you just said because we are at a time where it is scary and the threat is real. Anybody who told you like, oh, they're not going to overturn Roe, like, you'll be fine, like, we're not going to go backward, they were incorrect. They were telling you something that wasn't true. And I, I, I am sorry to have to say that, but here's, here's the reality of where we are. And it's, it's very real and it's very scary. And I completely understand the urge to be like, well, this is happening. It's inevitable. Our rights are going to be rolled back. Women are going to die. People are going to die. This is going to be bad. I, anybody who's feeling that, that exhaustion and malaise, I'm with you. I get it. All I can say is that now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to dig in. And so I have to really lift up and amplify all the amazing people who are doing the work on the ground of protecting abortion access. I want to shout out a few people right now. Uh, my colleague at Ultraviolet, Sonia Spoo, who is incredible. Um, my friend Renee, who is doing a lot of work around abortion storytelling and just like helping people understand how many different people are impacted by abortion care and need abortions and like someone that you love has had an abortion. And then if you're looking like, what can I do? Absolutely. Now is the time to be supporting abortion funds around the country. If you've got a local abortion fund in your, in your community, throw them some money. If you've got some extra money, you can go to abortionfunds.org and find out. You know, people are doing a lot of organizing of making sure that people can still get the access to care that they need. So definitely support those folks. Also, urge your lawmaker to uh, support the Women's Health Protection Act. You can go to weareultraviolet.org and find our petition demanding the Women's Health Protection Act be passed because we need, now is the time that we need to be fighting with all that we've got. I know it is scary. I know it is hard. I know we have all been through a lot, but now is the time to really dig in. And I think like, when I, like one of the things that really gives me hope in this fight are things like abortion care networks, are things like just individuals doing what they can. And so I know that we got us. Our, the government might not always, not always have our back. Our elected officials might not always have our back, but we have our own backs. And so this fight is hard and long, but I know, I know that we got, we got each other. And so that's the one thing that really gives me hope. Oh, so well said. I know. <laughs> I think I needed it because, yes, I've been very stressed. I know we talk. all are. <laughs> um, very concerned and worried. Mm -hmm. But that was a nice, a nice bow on this. <laughs> Our last recording with you, Bridget, in 2021 and some excellent advice as always. Hang in there. Yes. Hang in there. We can do this. <laughs> we can do this. Oh, Stacey Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that was supposed to be... Low key there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I call you, Samantha Loki. So low key. <laughs> Very low key. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you as always, Bridget, for joining us um, and bringing this topic. It is always such a, a delight to have you. 
have fun. You're about to leave for your your weirdo Christmas, correct? That's right. In a matter of hours, I will oh. be wearing a fur hat, like probably pretty drunk in the woods <laughs> under the moon. <laughs> The best Self-care Christmas ever. is important in, in, in this whole conversation. <laughs> yes, yes. Have a lovely time. Um, where can the listeners find you? Well, you can find me all over the web. I'm at Bridget Marie on Twitter and at Bridget Marie in DC on Instagram. Please follow me. I'm trying to get my followers up. Well, please follow. And you can follow me on my iHeartRadio podcast. There are no girls on the internet where we have all kinds of interesting conversations about culture and technology and gender and race and the internet. So please, please check it out. Yes, go check it out. It is fantastic. And as always, if you want to contact us, you can. Our email is stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 